Hey, here's, here's how I want to start. Here's how I want to start. What I have realized in, in my life is that relationships are pretty fragile. I don't know if you found that. Relationships are pretty fragile. Even good ones are fragile. And I don't know about you, but every time I step into a new room, it feels like the first day of junior high all over again. It's just nervous. It's nerve-wracking. And maybe it comes from somewhere like fragile relationships in the background. And I think some of us, even as kids, moved through kind of the relational landscape like kids walking on ice, venturing out, hearing it creak, wondering when it would fall through. And we've seen that. We've had fragile relationships. Maybe like me, you've seen parents divorce and got the phone call that spoke about that and sent your whole world into a spiral. Maybe it was like a best friend. You thought nothing could ever break that, and then something tested that, and you felt how fragile life was. Sometimes it brings about tremendous insecurities in us. There are so many women that I'll speak with, and it seems like perhaps out of this vacuum of not having a father speak tremendous words of love and confirming their beauty and their worth and the father's delight in them, they've maybe gone looking for that, perhaps in other men, maybe even compromised their very purity, just longing to belong, to fill up what maybe could have been invested in their life by their own father. I'm just saying relationships are fragile, and we know what that's like, right? We even know what we're like, and we know that we cause some of that brokenness. And sometimes I just wonder if every now and again, the fragility of relationships, seeing them crumble around us, we might turn towards God and go, is it like that with him? Is it possible I could so blow it in my relationship with God that he would do to me what I can quickly do to others and just ghost them, maybe move away from them? Could I become so offensive to God that he would kind of like throw in the towel, give up? Have I already blown in some ways? Did what happened last weekend or a month ago or the very things that are still plaguing me, are they causing God to go, you are on thin ice one more time and we're done? As we approach the end of Romans 8, I'm asking a question. Is there anything that you or I could do that would separate us from the love of God? That's the question we are asking. And the Apostle Paul in this closing chapter is going to ask seven questions of his own, and I think they will move us to a resounding answer to that big question. Can I do something that would separate me from the love of God? We're in Romans chapter 8. If you haven't been here, you just need to jump back and listen to some of the messages. I'm going to start with verses 28 through 30. It'll be on the screen behind me. Here it is. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. We just got to slow down. I'm going to leave that verse up. Verse 28 says, for those who know God, here comes a tremendous promise. We know that all things work together for good. Now, I'm going to state the obvious. All things literally mean all things. The good things in your life are working 
towards the good. The, the bad things are working towards the good. God is using all of them together for the good of those who love God. He is weaving it all together. Even evil he might use in a good way in your life. And what is the purpose? The purpose is found in the next verse. Look at this. It begins with four. It's connecting 28 to 29. All of those things are working together. And, and then to what end? For, for those he foreknew, he predestined. Here it is. To be conformed to the image of his son. Right there. Right there in that verse is God's will for your life and my life. Right there in that one verse, God is saying, hear this. My great master plan and goal for your life is this. That day by day, I would shape you into the image of Jesus. That you would talk like Jesus talks to people. You would begin to think like he thinks. You would dream the kinds of stuff Jesus dreams. You would say and love like him, love God like him, love other people like him. Day by day, God's will for your life is to shape you, mold you from the inside out to be more and more like Jesus. That is God's will for us. But when we want to know God's will, we're typically asking, who should I marry? When we want to know God's will, we're typically asking, what job should I get? When we want to know God's will for our lives, we're saying, where should I live? These are not insignificant, but don't you find it strange that the Bible is strangely silent about the major questions we're asking? Is it possible is it possible that God is failing to provide us answers to critical questions or that we're asking the wrong questions? Because here's the deal. God is less concerned with who you should marry and more concerned that you would love them like Jesus would love them. God is more concerned not with where you should live, but more concerned with, will you be on mission like Jesus lived his life on mission wherever you go? God is less concerned about what job you should take and more concerned about, will you be like Jesus, working hard, showing that you do all things to the glory of God? God's will for your life is this. It isn't your major. It isn't him or her. It's making you day by day more like Jesus. And what's he going to use? Back to 28. All things. All things, the good and the bad. Great things that have happened in your life and the worst things that have happened in your life. All things, successes and failures, surrender to him. He's gonna make you more like Christ. One guy asked his connection group and he says, what do you think? Have you become more like Jesus during seasons of tremendous joy and delight or during seasons of tremendous trial and pain. I wonder how you'd answer that. What pushed you more to Jesus and formed the image of Christ in you? All the connection group, without consulting each other, all of them said, tremendous trials. It pushed me more towards Christ. I'm telling you, the very pain that you're pushing away, God will use all things to make you more and more like Jesus. God's great plan is to make you into Christ so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Unbelievable, firstborn. Jesus headed to heaven, resurrected, but you and me are those many brothers and sisters. Heaven bound. God was not okay with just his son enjoying heaven. He wanted us there as well. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need our worship 
but he delights in it. Because God is bringing us there. Now, the question I find myself asking myself in this is, can I mess it up? Is there something I can do that will mess up God's plan? Is there something I can do to lose God's love on my life? And I want us to look at Romans 8.30. Romans 8.30, the next verse in this line says this, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. It starts with foreknowledge and then predestined and then he calls and then he justifies and then he glorifies. There are five links in this chain of salvation that stretches from eternity past all the way into eternity future. Five links that are absolutely mind-blowing. First off, God foreknew. God foreknew ahead of time. I mean, our knowledge of people begins like when they're born. God's like, I have known you for a million years and more. I foreknew all things from eternity past. God steps out of time. He is outside of time and sees it all as if it's now. He foreknew everything. And in his knowledge, he predestined. He called out these people. I'm going to draw people to myself. John 6, Jesus said to the crowds, and it blew their minds, I'm sure. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. He, he predestined. It's a mystery. No one can come to God unless the Father who, who, who sends Jesus draws him. And then it says he calls people to himself. The apostle Paul in worship says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with all spiritual blessings. And it says, for he chose us in him before the creation of time. Before you and I could attract the love of God or repel it by our wickedness, God's like, I chose you. See, it has nothing to do with you. I foreknew all things, I predestined, and then I chose, I called you to myself. And then the Bible says he justified them. Guys, I, this is like how people come to faith in Christ. I know, I know multiple people who like this year you have put your trust in Christ. The God, says he, God says he's calling people to faith in him. For the wages of sin is death, and the free gift of God is eternal life. And people put their faith in Christ. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet he justifies freely through grace that comes through Jesus. Romans 3, 23 and 24. Guys, God is a God who foreknows, he predestines, he calls, he justifies, and he glorifies. Remember that verse, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And Jesus says, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Jesus rose from the grave, and any person who has faith in Jesus Christ, when you die, you too will rise in resurrection glory. Step outside of this and just bask in this. I can't with my like three pounds of gray and white matter, I was trying to even find out what that does. Like I can't fathom what God is doing here. All I know is this, I have nothing to do with it. He does it. He foreknew. He predestined. He called. He justified. He glorified. Where is your work? Where are we? Nowhere to be found. Our salvation is the work of God. We don't do anything to put into motion, and we don't do anything to, to wreck it. I don't do anything to deserve it, and I can't do anything to lose it. This is the work of God from beginning to the end. And I don't know if you caught this. I did not. God speaks of all of it in the past tense. How can he do that? 
the stuff in eternity past, okay, past tense. He predestined, right? Okay, he foreknew, he, he called, but wait a minute. He justified, that's present tense salvation. He glorified, that doesn't happen until you die. Why is he using past tense? Because God outside of time sees it in eternity past all the way to eternity future. And in his mind, your salvation is as good as done. It's complete. If he started it in eternity past when you had nothing to do with it, according to his character as God, he will bring it to past. God does not begin projects that he does not finish. And even you can't wreck what he's doing. This is the hand of God. He foreknew, he predestined, he called, he justified, and past tense, he glorified. Our salvation is hidden work. We did nothing to earn it. We can do nothing to lose it. Is there anything we can do to break this unstoppable, inseparable chain to separate us from the love of God? God's word says, no. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. We think in linear terms. We think from childhood to adulthood to death. God is outside of that. And God will never give up on you. He will never leave you. He will never walk away. He will never abandon you. What he began, he will bring about. What he began, he did not need your help to start it, and he does not need your help to end it. You cannot stop his work of salvation in your life. You cannot hinder it. You can't thwart it or diminish it. You can't lose it, seize it, halt it, in any way slow it down. God's relentless love, his unending passion towards bringing you into glory, it's unstoppable. His love to you cannot be diminished. Is there anything you can do to separate you from the love of God? No. There is nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God of God. And he just goes on. He just continues. It's like maybe he knew their minds would be blown by this idea. And so the question he asked next, Romans 8, 31, what then are we to say about these things? <laughs> how, do you, how do you respond to that? And so he answers the form. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, what about these things? What are you going to say about these things? That God can use all the good and all the evil that's happened in your life for your good to make you more like Christ? What are you going to say about that? And what about this, that eternity past to eternity future, God's got you in his grip and nothing, no one, not even you can pull yourself out of that grip. What are you going to say about these things? And, and Paul's like, I'll answer it for you because I know what you're like. You know, just like stunned. And he goes, if God is for us, who can be against us? And yet some still in this room wonder, what about last weekend? What about the sin struggle I just keep failing in? I certainly can throw this off, right? I certainly can do things. I'm so offended by me. I'm sure God is offended by me. I would be done with me. Wouldn't God be done with me? You might give up on you. But God cannot and will not ever give up on his children. Nothing, no one, not even you, can keep God from loving you. Nothing can separate you from his love. And there's more. 
Look at this, Romans 8.32. He just keeps going. He's driving, he's building. Romans 8.32 says, he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Back to verse 32. Follow the logic of this from greater to lesser. Look at what he's saying. God, first he starts off, he didn't even spare his own son. Okay, when it came to us, he didn't even hold back the death of his only son. I would have. I never would have given my own son for enemies. But God, he didn't even hold back Jesus. Get this, God sends his son to earth. From heaven, the glory of heaven and the, the exaltation, the worship of angels, he's born into a feeding trough among a poor, possibly teenage couple born in, in mud and muck. And then he comes to people who are his own and they revile him. His whole life is hard. He's not even believed on in his family. He has this ragtag group of disciples who are half-hearted at best. They're with him when things are good. They run when it gets bad and he goes to the cross alone. And on that cross, he endures the wrath of his own father for our sins. God's saying, if God did not spare his own son, but allowed him to be betrayed, abandoned, whipped, abused, rejected, nailed to a wooden cross, don't you think he'll help you with things like depression? Don't you think a God who would send his son to the cross would help with an image problem? Don't you think the God who would send his own son to the cross cares about your grades and classes? Don't you think the God who would send his own son to the cross would care for a future job and where you would live? Guys, if God before us, who can be against us? And if God would send his own son to the cross, how will he not with him freely Give us all things. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? When I think of accusations, I just think, man, lots of accusations come to our hearts, don't they? I mean, think of some of the accusations. Other people might accuse us, right? Verse 33, other people could accuse us. I mean, man, I was heartbroken to hear as I walked around the block at my house, about a young man who's given his life to Christ and how his mom and dad are against him for his faith. How hard is that? It, and not just maybe the displeasure of some friends or family who are not excited about your faith. Guys, what they were about to face within six years of this letter written was a full-blown persecution of Emperor Nero. Because this is the emperor who would blame the fall of Rome and the big fire of Rome on Christians. He was the one who would put Christians on poles all around his palace, wrap them with a gauze-like fabric, pack it tight with tar, and light them alive on fire to light up his palace grounds. That was six years from this writing. Paul knew you are about to go through death itself. And it had already begun, just not in widespread form. Yes, accusations are going to come to us, but can they keep you from God's love? Who else brings accusations? The devil himself. Listen, Revelation 12.10 says you have an enemy. If you know Jesus tonight, you have at least one enemy. 
The devil, it says, stands before God day and night, accusing you before God. He is bringing up all your dirt all the time against you. And sometimes I feel like I hear the noise of the enemy in my mind, don't you? I I hear phrases like, God doesn't love you. Not after what you just did. That close to the retreat. You're in a connection group and you went and did, nah. Dude, God can barely tolerate you. In fact, Just give up pursuing God. He wishes you would. Like I hear noise in my head. The enemy brings accusations against us, but not only the devil, my own conscience accuses me. Like I know I blow it. I'm familiar with that. And some people love me enough to tell tell me that. My wife tells me that a lot. And she's right. My conscience is guilty all the time. I don't even need the noise of the enemy. I don't even need the... The opposition of people, I have my conscience going, guilty, 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 you know you're doing wrong. God still asks, who can bring in accusations against God's elect? And he answers it. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? God cuts through all the noise in our heads and goes, you're mine. You're forgiven. My word will be final. The devil, he can go to hell. That's where he is heading. You're my child. And all the noise in your head, your guilty conscience, Stephen preached on it a few weeks ago at the UA. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You're not condemned. The blood of my son was enough. There was nothing insufficient about that cross. I've got you. You're mine. No one can take you out of my hand. Can anything separate God's children from his love? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And then I don't know if you saw this, in, in Romans 8, 34, what a beautiful picture. It says, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is the right, at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Jesus is at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. That means he prays for us. Jesus is praying for you. Now, now let me hit timeout real quick. I think it's so special when someone regularly prays for me. When you regularly pray for someone, I mean, how can you love someone more than that? My wife, okay, before we were married, like when I was in high school, when I first started dating her, her grandpa found out I was dating her and began to pray for me every single day. And her grandpa was like, not just like this, no one. He was the president of the master seminary, this huge like, Christian college in LA. Like he's a big name there. And he just put me on a list and began calling heaven down on my life. And he prayed for me every day of his life, to my knowledge, until he went to be with the Lord. I remember starting to lead in Salt Company, just as a young staffer. And I remember one time I called him on the phone to get some advice. And I'm like, hey, uh, uh, Dr. Duncan, you know, what do you call, Grandpa, I, you know. And, and, oh, Paul, you know, I mean, just that slow Grandpa, you know, the whole world slows down. It's like you got to click it back to half speed or whatever. Oh, Paul, you know. He goes, Paul, tell me, how is the salt factory going, you know? <laughs> And I'm like, I didn't even correct it. I'm like, salt factory, salt company, it doesn't matter. You know, like he just wants to know. But guys, until he died, 
every day, he was seeking the Lord for me. I wonder how many things God has done in my life over the years that have nothing to do with me at all and are the direct response to his prayers. They're answers of the prayers of a godly man. Doesn't that just like an axe, like whack at the tree of pride in your life where it's like, maybe I have nothing going for me except I get people praying for me. Like he was praying for me. And I'm telling you, even if you don't have the privilege of having a godly grandpa-in-law, if I can use that term, praying for you every day of your life, I'm telling you, you have someone better. Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of God and he is talking to the Father about you. He gets everything he prays for, right? I mean, if anyone prays the will of God, it's the Son of God. Jesus Christ lives, Hebrews 7, 25, lives to make intercession for you. Jesus is praying for you. But not only that, that would be enough to just go, that's, you know, that was worth the price of admission. I'm heading home. I got enough for tonight. But look at this. Back in verse 26, listen to what else it says. In the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. Because we don't know what to pray for, as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, hold on a second. Just take this in. You have got the Spirit of God praying for you so earnestly. It's like with groanings inexpressible praying for you. You have got the Son of God praying for you. And you have got God the Father hearing the prayers that are totally according to his will, hearing them, delighting in you, and loving you. You have got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all for you, praying to the Father for you. You have got the whole Trinity talking about you all the time. If I were just walking around out there, and then I came up to you and I said, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I was just over there, and there's three people talking about you. I heard them talking about you. What happens in your heart when you hear a few people are talking about you? You know, oh, no. <laughs> what do they know? You know? Like, I immediately think it's bad. You have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit talking about you, in love with you, for you with the strength of the Trinity, the Son praying for you. If you never had a Father praying for you, you've got a Son praying for you. You have got the Spirit praying for you. You have got a Father delighting you. You can go to bed tonight knowing that when you have spent your last bit of strength, though you fall asleep, there's a murmuring going on in heaven. And it is all for your good. God bringing about your salvation. It is as good as finished. He's got you. Can anything separate you from a loving, caring, praying God? Nothing can separate you from the love of God him praying, hearing us. And then it, it just keeps moving upwards. Now we're nearing the end of the passage. And the end of this passage, it, it heralds a breakthrough more significant than a cure for cancer. 
it screams of a victory more powerful than the ending of all wars. It, it ends like a lighting up of the darkness like fireworks do at the Magic Kingdom. You've been there, right? But a thousand times brighter. And speaking of the Magic Kingdom, <laughs> you know how it is at Disney if you've been. You run around all day long squeezing all the joy you can, trying to shoot every gap and work every line and do the virtual cues and no, you know, like you are trying to maximize pleasure. You are busy, you're at work, trying to have joy, but it all changes when that castle show is close. Like somehow everyone takes a chill pill at Disney because the castle show is nearby. And you know how it is. All you got to do is get your little spot on the ground. Make sure no one steals that because that's a problem. But if you can just secure a little piece of real estate, then you got time. You head off to the funnel cake machine, right? I mean, or whatever your treat is. But for our family, there's a lot of funnel cakes, a lot of money spent on funnel cakes. And I mean, they're pouring their stuff on it and spraying. Their, and everyone's just chill. We're not in a hurry anymore because the castle show's about to begin. And you know what? All you got to do is get your funnel cake, get in your little spot, and get ready to enjoy it. That's all. I'm telling you, as you get close to the finale of this passage, though it is right for you to go, what does God want me to do? What should I apply? What are my orders from this passage? Here are your orders. Just get your funnel cake. <laughs> get your little spot sit down because God's about to sing a song over you that's better than any Disney song you ever saw. God's about to show you a grand vista of his love that does more than remind you of old Disney movies. God is about to shoot off some firecrackers that will make that look like a bottle rocket. God ends this passage singing a finale over you of his love. Listen to how he concludes after eight chapters of telling you what God has done for you. Romans 8, 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you we're being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Listen to what he's saying. Who can separate you from the love of Christ? Can affliction, that is, could outward distress, emotional distress, or severe adversity, can that separate you from the love of Christ? No, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Can distress, that is the feeling of being helpless, hemmed in in a tight space, can that sense of helplessness, stress, can that separate you from the love of Christ? Paul's answer is clear. No, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. He goes on, can persecution, that is, family or authorities or governments or friends, anyone pushing against you for the sake of Christ, he will say, no, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And yet some people are dying. Can famine or nakedness or danger or sword, can the finality of death itself separate you from the love of Christ? Listen to what John Piper said about death. Death is a threat to the degree that it frustrates your main goals. Death is, is fearful 
to the degree that it threatens to rob you of what you treasure most. But if your greatest joy is in Jesus Christ, then death doesn't keep you from what you treasure most. Death gives you what you treasure most. And for Paul, his greatest love was not in this world where to die would be to rob him from it. Oh, how grievous it is to my soul to look at so many people getting old in this state, living for this world. The best they have is shiny cars that they can't enjoy. As their sight fades, they can't even use them. The best they can do is to retire early and get put out to pasture with a bunch of their toys and live a life of meaninglessness where the greatest goal, the greatest job description they get for the last 30 years of their life is spoil their grandchildren. Oh, that there would be grandmas and grandpas, elderly folk that picked up a new job description that said, I'm not wasting my life spoiling grandchildren. By my faith, I will inspire my grandchildren and I will live my best years on edge for the kingdom of God. I will be the most dangerous for the glory of God in my closing years. I will use the most of my money that I have, the more time that I have, I will do it all for the glory of God because my treasure's in this world. I'm not gripping onto it with white knuckles. My treasure's in the next world. And death doesn't frustrate my main goals. It only gives me an opportunity to have them. Jesus was always my treasure and I will have him. Take my life and you will give me life. That is what Paul believed. And I'm telling you, let's snap out of it. Snap out of the dream, the haze, the potion, the, 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 just this magical spell that has been cast over this generation that says the best things are in this life. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is the best thing, and he is in the next life. And Paul is saying, what, death? What are you going to do to me? You're going to kill me? That's the worst you can do to me. You take my life, and you give me what I've always wanted. The Christian always wins always wins. And Paul is going off. And the finale, he just can't stop. No, in all these things, verse 37, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can anything separate you from the love of God? Paul says, no, nothing, not past, not present, not your failures, now, then, in the future, nothing, north, south, east, west, inside, outside, in all creation, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And just how driven is our God to be near his children as they struggle through this life on their way to glory? Let me end with this story. I know how driven I was when I was once separated from one of my children to be reunited. Ten years ago, we were returning from a family vacation. It was my family, and my dad was traveling with us. And we were going across the country, found a great deal at a hotel, found out why it was such a good deal when I showed up. This hotel in Nashville, right off the interstate, sketchy place. But you do what every dad does. You just go, okay, we're going to get some food, and we got some food, and then it's like, let's head to the pool. Ten years ago, Claire was a 12-year-old girl. Ellie would have been a 13-year-old girl. We showed up. We got our room. It was room 236 and 242 because my dad was with us also. We got those rooms, and we went to the rooms. As I went to the room, this was before we are going to get to the pool, I walked past another room. There's a room full of men 
it looked like here's where the party's going to be, a bunch of guys who things were going to get rowdy, guys were going to get drunk, and it was not too many doors down from mine. And as a father of two young women, your alarm goes up, and you take note of that. We get ready for the pool. My dad heads down with Josiah and Claire, and I stick back because I'm just, I don't know if I'm grabbing towels or what I'm doing. Ellie and Jenny are going to stay in the room, watch a movie. Totally, I get it. I go on down to the pool just a few minutes later than them all, and something's immediately wrong. Claire's gone. I thought she went down with my dad and with Josiah. She's not there. I don't even say anything to alarm them. Actually, just quietly go on back. You know what? Claire's absent-minded. I bet she forgot her towel. We'll, I, she'll be back at the room, right? I backtrack, go up to the room. She's not in the room. Jenny's there, probably wondering what I'm doing. I say nothing. No need to alert her right now because she'd go off like crazy. And so I thought, I got to find her. So I think there's a few more places I can look. I'm going to go down the lobby. Maybe she got lost. Pretty small hotel. Have you seen my daughter? No. I go out into the parking lot. It's right next to the interstate. I think maybe she forgot something in the van. There's no one in our van. I have looked everywhere that I know where to look in this hotel. My 12-year-old girl is gone. I go back to the pool. She's not there. And I say to my dad, Claire's missing. And my dad jumps out of the pool, and he is game on. Claire, Claire, Josiah, Claire, Claire. I head on back to the room. I have to tell Jenny, Jenny, I can't find Claire. She's missing. Jenny jumps up. Ellie, they go down. My wife, tears are streaming from her face as she goes out in the parking lot, starts going from one car to another, looking in windows, wondering who has abducted my daughter and taken her. We're right next to the interstate. This could have just gone down. I go back to the first floor, but on my way down, I walk almost right in to this drunk man, and he's looking at me, and I'm just right there in his face, and I'm thinking, my daughter might be in that room with those men. And in a sense, it felt like behind every closed door, my daughter was there, and I was ready to destroy anyone I needed to in order to have my daughter's safety. And I just saw him and I didn't go barging into his room, but I started looking around more. I go back down. Where is she? Is she? Have you seen her at the front desk? And she goes, have you checked all the rooms or all the floors? I said, yes, I've checked the first floor. I've checked the second floor. And she goes, have you checked the third floor? I said, I didn't even know there was a third floor. I head on over. I hit the, I hit the elevator. I'm waiting for an elevator. It takes forever. It finally goes up. The elevator doors open. The hall is empty except down the hall in front of room 336. Exactly one floor up is Claire. She's knocking on a door. <laughs> Waiting for someone to open. One floor off. When I pulled the family together, people were just so undone. I would have happily that night died for my daughter. I was 10 feet from her. And I couldn't stand the thought of being separated from her. And I'm telling you, you have a father who was separated from you as far as heaven is from hell. And he knew that you would be under his judgment. And this father did not in theory say something like, I would die for them. No, he leaves heaven to come to earth. He sends his son. The love of God moves the son of God, empowered by the spirit of God. The whole trinity comes for your rescue. He comes, he's born into filth. 
He lives without the glory he deserves, and he dies on a filthy wooden cross next to criminals naked. And why? Because the love of God was moving in his heart to have you and you and you. And it was for the joy set before him, the Bible says, that he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and drew us into glory. Yes, he could have had heaven without us, but he did not want it that way. He breaks through. He comes for us. He rescues us. This is the love of God. Can anything separate you from the love of God? I hope the big idea is clear. Nothing, nothing, nothing can ever, ever separate us from the love of God. And if you don't know him, if you were a person who went, I wasn't even planning on being, I, it's surprising that I'm here tonight. If you are here and you're like, could this love be for me? Then maybe from eternity past. God has set things in place where though you're surprised you're even here, God isn't. He has set you up to encounter his love, to say this, you have nothing I want. Your sin is what makes my cross necessary, but I would forgive you. Come to me. Put your trust in me. Ask me to forgive you, and I will come into your life, and you will see my love flooding your soul for a lifetime, and your glory is as sure in the future as it is today, you too can be a part of his family. Guys, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Isn't that good news? Let me pray for us. God, I was undone when I was 10 feet from my daughter who was lost to me. I would have done anything to close the gap because to be separated by even one floor was undoing to my soul. And God, I want to thank you tonight for looking down from heaven and seeing us who actually deserve eternal separation. We weren't wandering. We were putting our middle fingers high in the air. We were running from you. God, we have done everything wrong and yet your love is persistent. God, you are the one with foreknowledge, predestined, called, justified, and you will glorify. It's as good as done. Thank you, God, that even I, as bad as I am at times, as much as I fail, even I, I can't separate your love from me. It is sure, it is confident, it is strong, it is a link of chain that cannot be broken. And God, we rest tonight. We will go to bed tonight, maybe thinking for the first time that someone's talking about us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are for us. They long for us to be with you. Oh God, what a glorious thought. Oh, how you've loved us. Jesus, may we sit on a blanket with our funnel cakes, stare at the sky, and bask in the tremendous love of God poured out so freely for us. May we glorify you by enjoying that kind of love. We pray in your name.